welcome to Martyr She Wrote, a religious trauma podcast. I'm your host, Anna Clark Miller. With a dash of humor, I'm going to be tackling a topic that's serious as hell. So buckle up. Welcome back, everybody. Today, I've got a really fun guest with me. She is a friend, and also you may have heard Catherine and I talking about her last week and just what a cool person she is. So without further ado, Reverend Jenna Sullivan is an ordained pastor. She went to Divinity School in North Carolina and is currently finishing up her pastoral residency at a Baptist church in Texas. And she has a passion for creating healing and inclusive church experiences. Jenna, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. So, hey, everybody. I'm I'm an ordained Baptist pastor. I am queer and came out last year. And so that's been a big part of my journey is starting to navigate. How does that both challenge and enrich my calling, I would say? Um, Yeah. So is religious trauma something that you had encountered kind of before coming out? Mm, yeah, it's funny. The the term religious trauma, I didn't really know much about until I met, um, till I met you guys until like, I didn't know it as a term, you know, um, right. I knew that, that I have kind of had this weirdly positive experience with religion growing up. And so that's probably why I'm still in ministry. That's really what I attribute that to because I have, I meet so many people that have had just really painful experiences. And I don't think that, um, had I really struggled as much as a child and youth with the church and with faith, I don't think I would still be here. And so I think it's kind of this weird, um, like, you know, I don't, I don't believe, like, I don't, I don't often say, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I don't really believe in that kind of toxic positivity, but I do believe, I do believe our lives have meaning and that there's kind of an arc of a story. And I think it's really beautiful that somehow, um, my, my place in the institution has, has been preserved, I guess I would say that. Um, and I think it's given me this chance to, um, to do some really important work in the institution that, that maybe I wouldn't have had, had the chance to. So yeah, growing up, I, I wouldn't say my, my experience was traumatic. I also wasn't aware of my queerness. So I have kind of an interesting, um, TikTok has taught me about comp het or compulsory heterosexuality. Highly recommend everyone get on TikTok and figure out their, true, um, authentic sexuality. Cause that's kind of what happened for me over the pandemic. And I've actually like seen more and more people that have had a similar experience where like almost the pandemic required them to go in inward. And, but anyways, all that to say, um, I, I wasn't out as a, as a queer kid in, in high school and in middle school, but I also feel like the faith community I was in was just sort of a unicorn in that I think, I think that they, they showed up with love. They showed up with safety and honesty and affirmation. And, um, I didn't realize at the time how, uh, how rare that was. And so 
it really wasn't until I left my home church and got into pastoral ministry that I started to see some of the layers and the challenges and the, the pain that religion can cause and, and faith can cause. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about what were the things that you started noticing when you went into ministry, kind of once you were seeing it from the other side, Mm -hmm. what was surprising or or maybe disappointing? Like what kinds of things did you notice? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that I started to see how I still think I've been in sort of more or less healthier places than a lot of people come from in Texas and in the South. Um, But I did start to see how um, vulnerable people were. And and I started to realize sort of the, the responsibility I had with, with interacting with people and how, how, how I showed up as a person, like my own emotional well-being could impact the person that I was serving. And I started to see how um, particularly narcissism and um, sort of just the models we have for church leaders set, set everyone up for traumatic experiences. <laughs> um, and so what I, what I kind of mean by that is like we have this we have this expert model, right? Like you come to church to learn from the expert and have someone else tell you about the divine. And that's been the model for forever. Right. Um, but I think in that it's, it's just almost like it's, it's paving the way for trauma because you're giving one person or one group of people power. And you're saying, you're the expert. You are the one that knows the things. And then I'm the lowly peasant of a lay person that comes to you to figure out, you know, my theology and figure out what's true about God. And these massive questions that have so much meaning and weight. And so I did start to see some, some narcissism and some, um, and people get like really defensive about that. Well, narcissists get defensive about that, I should say. Um, But what I mean is that what I would say is living from an expert model, living from a place of, I know everything and you don't. Now, there's a difference between having a calling and saying, I am called by God because I do believe I am and I believe I have important wisdom to share. But like I balance that so closely with. I have I have wisdom and so do you, so do you. And we figure this out together. We wrestle with it together. And that's a model that I just think is not prevalent enough in churches at all. Yeah. I I love that that idea of, you know, the expert model kind of paving the way for narcissistic leaders to take advantage of that. Do you feel like do you think that there are some narcissists that literally seek out ministry as a place to exercise mm. power? 
Or do you think it's more of something that develops after the fact because of their celebrity treatment? Mm. Oh, Anna, that's a word. That is a word. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if it's, you know, the chicken or the egg, which kind of comes first. It's almost just like fertile ground. Like I think it just, it just kind of happens. They, they find their way to fertile ground for that. And, and, you know, I think it's easy to sort of point at like, almost like demonizing the, the, the narcissist himself or, or, or these incidences of it. Right. But I think it's really a broader question of like, what are we looking for in religious leaders? Because what, what happens, right. Is that narcissists are charismatic. They're assertive. They're, um, clear they know what they believe they have the answers they have a clear message and so I think lay people are gonna feel drawn to that and and we all kind of want someone um to tell us the truth I think that this is this is evident in someone like Trump right like like people are drawn to for for good or for ill in this case for ill Um, but people were drawn to a concise, repetitive, clear, assertive message. And there's probably a piece of all of us that, that absorbs that and wants that in a religious leader, something about us humans, like we, we want somebody to worship, right? Like, I think unless we do a lot of work and unless we kind of disen, you know, disentangle that from our psyche, like we want to say, oh, they're my favorite pastor. They're my favorite preacher. We want to follow them on Twitter and retweet everything they say. And I mean, there's just this, there's this pedestal that we can put people on. Um, and I see it so much with myself. Like I see it with people really wanting to do that with me already. Like not, not in a bad way. And a lot of it's just affirmative and it's, and I can take it as affirmation, but I can totally see how, like, if I wasn't, doing more inner work, it could definitely be like, people want to make your ministry about you. They just do. They just want to make it about your personality, your gifts, and they want to ascribe all that to you versus God who's given you that. Right. Um, and so it's such a dangerous thing. Um, but I think, I think narcissists just somehow, they get their needs met. That's what it comes down to. Like if they have a need for, you know, narcissistic supply, um, if they need words of affirmation and constant, constant respect and power, like what better place to get those needs met than in a congregation who, who, who can give that frequently. Yeah. It got me thinking just now about like that, that confidence and that clear message that you were talking about, you know, when something like spirituality, it's, it's very convoluted. It's very abstract at times. It It's like, we want something to tether it, to make mm-hmm. it concrete. And so when somebody comes along and says, Hey, it's not that complicated. Here is the clear mm. truth. Then that is attractive. That's appealing because it simplifies something that really just isn't yes, simple. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So other than not being a narcissist, um, <laughs> what else do you think church leaders can do to decrease the likelihood that people in their flock are going to be traumatized mm. in some way? One thing is to shift attention away from yourself. Um, so when attention starts to come towards you and you hear a congregant say, oh, that sermon was just the best sermon and this, that, da, 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 say, thank you so much for your feedback. Like I really, that's an affirmation to me. We, we all showed up in powerful ways today. Like, you know, affirm the organist, talk about how, you know, the lay person that read the youth that read the gospel and did a beautiful job, like find be intentional about shifting attention away from yourself, not in a self-deprecating flagell, you know, not in a martyrdom way, like just in a way that says, Hey, we're all doing this together. We all have a part to play here and really shifting to that team mindset can be really powerful. Um, and also just, just doing your inner work, just that's the most important thing, you know, do go to therapy, have friendships outside of the church, you know, have, have supportive relationships with, with your colleagues. Um, don't, don't carry the burden alone of being a clergy person, because I think that's also kind of a, a, a dance too, right. Is like, we carry all the praise, but we also carry all the blame. And so while congregants can praise you very, very frequently, the flip side of that is that they can also project a lot of their unhealthy wounding and criticize you in really painful ways. And I think that that also kind of eggs on the narcissism because then, okay, I have to find ways to to validate my, to get, make sure I'm validated because I'm also being so painfully criticized. Right. And so anything you can do to just start to take that feedback less personally and, and, and start to say, you know, this doesn't make or break my calling. This doesn't make or break me. Um, that's going to help you approach the layperson from less of a need, like I need you to love me, or when you hate me, I hate myself, you know, um, then if, if you can start to detach from their feedback, that is, that is the saving grace of ministry, because then I can be, I can have longevity in my ministry and not be burned out or, you know, sustained by affirmation and burned out by rejection, you know, because people will give you both. They'll give you both. They'll criticize your shoes and they'll tell you they love you. Like it's, it's just both, you know, I love what you're saying about like detaching kind of like your ego or your sense of self-worth from the feedback that you're getting. Um, but I also know that a common experience among religious trauma survivors is that they will give feedback, i.e. make an outcry mm. about abuse and the leadership does seem detached. You know, mm. it's kind of like 
they're just like, well, I'm sorry that that was your perception of what happened, you know? And so it, it can, I, I guess I'm yeah. wondering like, how, how do you take feedback that's about potential uh, problematic mm. things seriously yes. without yes. attaching it to yes. the ego? Oh, that's good. That's really good. And I think that's a great, great point. It's almost like they sort of gaslight the person and say, you know, you're, you're misinterpreting it wrong. You know, that this was out of love. You know, we kicked your son out of the youth group out of love for him or whatever the situation is. Um, and I think that, yes, we have to listen to feedback. I still think the way to do that is to take responsibility and acknowledge what is true about what the person is saying without going into this See what what happens I think with 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 narcissist tendencies is there's a shame shutdown and I think what happens is if you're criticizing me oh I'm sh I'm shamefully shutting down and we all have to find ways whether we're clinical narcissists or not because I think in America if you're in leadership you're dancing with some narcissism and I don't I say that I say that not in a way that like I'm ashamed, like I'm shaming myself, but I just think that if you have a microphone and power, you've got to be aware of this stuff. And so I don't want people to hear me saying, oh, the, those narcissists, those, I'm really wanting to change the conversation to how do all of us as clergy start to change our our ways of being in the pulpit and in the ministry so that we are not promoting this ego driven leadership. I think, yeah. but yeah, in that case, I would really say that it's so important to listen to the person and not get defensive and not go into that shame shutdown because when shame increases, accountability decreases. Like when someone is feeling ashamed, they cannot access accountability and taking accountability. And this is why, you know, it's so hard, whether it's microaggressions, you know, whether it's white people taking accountability. Like I, I think there's so many layers to this, but I think that doing what you can to, as Brene Brown says, like take care of your shame, right? Like, like take care of yourself so that you're not causing harm in the first place. And you don't have to listen to feedback about how you're being abusive, you know, like don't get to that place. Yeah. Um, take good care of yourself and, and good care, not in a pat, pat, pat. I'm so awesome way, but in a, in a, like, I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to be self-reflective. I'm going to know that God loves me and I don't need the adoration of anyone to know that and like staying really rooted yeah. in that self-compassion and that, and that true self-affirmation so that you have the ability to, to really listen when someone's bringing you something that, that you can take responsibility to change. I love that. And I would, man, I've been in so many churches where I wish that had been the stance of the leadership, you know, where it's like teachable and 
you know, genuinely wanting to hear about the problem without constantly thinking, wait, what does this say about me? What does this mean about me? You know, like it's not yes. about you. Oh. <laughs> so I, I love what you're saying. And I, I wish that more um, church leaders were so open to that self-awareness and, and even just mm-hmm. therapy, like you said. So as a female in church leadership, well, I'm sorry. What are your pronouns, Jenna? My, my bad. <laughs> my pronouns are she slash her. Um, but I also, okay. I'm, I think I'm already gender non-conforming being queer. And like, I, I believe that God is non-binary and I'm, I don't think gender boxes should hold as much weight as they do in society, but that's kind of, but yeah, right now my, my pronouns are she slash her. Great. Well, then thank you for saying that. And I totally agree that God is (laughs) non-binary. So, but as someone who's been in the church world as Mm -hmm. a female, like what has that experience been like? And do you feel like patriarchy has, um, flavored any of your experiences? Yes. Um, I think there's a real preoccupation with image and dress and appearance and I think I see it though, you know, I see it happen to men too, because it's, it's a patriarchal lens of what's important, right? Because patriarchy says image is important. And so whatever your pronouns, you know, or however you present the lens of patriarchy says the most important thing about you is how you look. And I've certainly experienced that. Um, now I do love to serve a cute outfit and serve a look and I enjoy, um, looking cute and I love clothes and I love fashion and I love putting makeup on, but it, it shocks me every time how, you know, I'll get a, I'll get a note or an email about a shoe choice, you know, and it's just like, what's going on there, you know, or, or in past congregations, I've had congregants buy me shoes and maybe, <laughs> maybe my memoir is going to be like shoes or I don't know, something about shoes is, you know, there's something about, we, we love to, we attach something it, and I don't know what the psyche is of it, of like how a preacher looks. And, and this is not to say that dressing your best and like looking professional helps your message be heard. Like, I do believe that's true. Um, but I also think like, why do you care so much about what I look like? And could I not proclaim this truth in different clothes? You know, what if I leaned into more masculine clothing? Like what would, what would happen for your experience? Um, so I think that's really kind of the lens of patriarchy that says the most important thing about you is how you look. And then I'll think about other things about you. Then I'll ask you how you're doing. Then I'll listen to your message, you know? And so I've definitely experienced that. And then also I just say, like, I think I wouldn't have even got to this point if I wasn't really like working hard at what I did and like, and there, and there's a kind of a culture of excellence. Like, I think I just sort of see this as like mediocrity is more tolerated and, and even celebrated for men and for women. There's, there's a standard of like, you know, you must be 
eloquent and smart and creative and energetic at all times or something's wrong with you you know there's just there's higher expectations and i think any clergy woman has has found that she's had to really be trying really hard and doing her best to not be discounted and that's that's sad you know we should have more grace we should have more room for everyone on their journey to to kind of struggle and show up where they are and and change and evolve and it shouldn't just be we give that permission to men you know oh he's young he'll grow into it well and i i don't think it's a coincidence that the typical like narcissist profile is that confident male Mm -hmm. leader who doesn't submit to anybody else you know, and it's rare that you see a woman in that archetype. Um, and I think, you know, that just shows that patriarchy also supports the narcissistic model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of our listeners are people that are survivors of religious trauma, and many of them have chosen to leave the church either because they no longer believe in their faith or because they just don't want the uh, organized part of religion to potentially harm them again. What would you say to people that have gone that route and chosen to leave church? I would say first that I'm so sorry um, for the pain that that happened to you. Um, It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. It was unfair and unjust. And I would also say that your decision is your decision and that God doesn't require us to go to church and that basically just, you know, it's okay. It's okay. That's your decision. And, you know, your journey is yours and it's holy and good even if it weaves in and out or mostly out of faith communities. There aren't a lot of safe spaces. And so good for you for taking care of yourself and protecting your, your soul from more spiritual harm. That's, that's the truth. God doesn't live in the church. You know, she's, she's all over, you know, they're, they're all over. They're with you in, in every place. They're, they're accessible in every place. And the church doesn't have a hold on the divine. I guess I, I would also say that I think that there's a sense that theology is about ideas and how well you communicate those ideas. And that's important. Like it is important to be able to teach and like explain things, but I would also just encourage any clergy that are listening to this or any listeners that are looking for signs of, of more safe clergy, like how you show up in your relationships is more important than that. And we learn this from none other than Jesus. Like if you want to get biblical, I'll take it to the Bible because Jesus showed again and again that it wasn't the doctrine or the Torah or the, the law that, that had to be perfected or perfectly communicated. Now he did communicate those things, 
but he showed up in relationships and how you present yourself, how, how able you are to show love to others in intangible felt ways and receive love. Like that is so important to your ministry. Uh, and we've got to start to shift away from here's some ideas about love and just me showing you that love in how I live. I love that. And I think you're so, so right. I also think, you know, a lot of, a lot of modern day exclusion is justified under the guise of, well, this is what's loving for them in the long run, like in the big picture, Yeah. even no, though, thank you. <laughs> but no, it's like, no, it's not no, impacting no. them as love. So yes. like, is that love? My friend actually, her name's Brianna Childs and she's a social worker. She's my colleague here. And she recently said in one of her sermons, she said, it's not just do unto others as you, as you would have them do unto you, right? Like the traditional golden rule. She said, it should be do unto others as they ask to be done unto them. And I think that is so profound that we have got to start listening to the people we serve among and say, what feels loving to you? What feel, what do you want? What, you know, just even asking that, how can I best minister to you instead of assuming we know that information? Oh, golly, what would change about the church if we just said, how can I best serve you? Well, and that's recognizing diversity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's saying I'm not the same person as you. So the thing that would get through to me may not be the thing that's going to get through to you. And so instead of me just imposing my worldview on mm-hmm. you, why don't, why don't you teach yeah. me? And that kind of does go into a story actually. So I teach, I teach a lot of Sunday school and I love teaching Sunday school. It's, it's just so fun because you do get this like total diversity of opinions and beliefs and worldviews. Recently I was, I was teaching Sunday school and we were talking about Moses in the burning bush and how, how physical that was. And, um, someone was saying, yeah, you know, I just can't quite connect with God. And, and I was thinking like how, how common that is and also how different we are, because this was a gentleman who seems to approach things with his intellect and his mind and, and that's valid. And so I think instead of me just like pushing him and saying, well, just, just feel it, just feel the Holy spirit, you know, like that's not how he's going to connect with God necessarily. And so I think evangelicalism kind of says you have to feel your way to God. Western post-enlightenment mainstream kind of progressive church says you have to think your way to God and they, they are less inclined to value feeling. But I just think we have to kind of say, you know, like your burning bush is not going to be the same as another person's. Like, I think God does show up for people in different ways, but it always cracks me up kind of how I have to juggle in these classes, not to dismiss, don't dismiss the people among you that are are on their own journey and may not connect to God in the way that you do. Um, and that's hard for me. Cause I'm like, well, why don't you just listen to a playlist and like take a walk in nature and, you know, um, but some people don't, you know, they are much more thinkers. 
Well, and even aside from personality type, there's neurodiversity yes. that just impacts how people receive information and, and how, how they visualize things. So of course it's going to be different how we all experience our relationship with mm-hmm, the divine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the church of my dreams really values all of that. And, and it would start to think about, you know, how do we bring in neurodiverse, you know, components to a worship service? How do we make sure that our service is accessible for all learning types? You know, what if there were fidgets in the pews? You know, what if there were for children? You know, what if, I mean, who's to say we should even ask kids to be still for an hour, you know, like, is that even the best way that they would connect with God? So I think it's having the humility to say how we've always done it is not necessarily the best way. And that doesn't mean we're bad people or that we've done it wrong or getting stuck in that shame shut down. Don't go there, you know, just say, you know what, grace, because this is where grace comes in. Like, You want to talk about grace, like give yourself some grace and say, it's okay to change and evolve and, and be different. That's what the whole gospel is about is like, you keep changing and you keep being open to new ways of doing things. So stop thinking that your way is the only way. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Amen. (laughs) All right. Well, so one of the last things that I'm trying to ask all of our guests is, Just if you have any funny church stories you think that our listeners would find entertaining. I mean, you know, I think the whole shoe thing is just really funny. So I think I started, I started wearing these shoes, these like preacher shoes that I got. And like, they're, you know, they have kind of like a chunky heel, like they're, they're not heels. They're like loafers almost like really cute. And, um, I got this email from this, this, this woman at one point after preaching and, um, you know, she was just bless her heart. She was really just telling me like that I would be more successful in my career. Cause I chose comfort over style basically. Oh, that is so shady. <laughs> there was some, there was some, just a good dabbling of like of like subtle church shade. Like, you know, like I'm sending you this nice note, but also like you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get the job because they'll know that you just valued comfort. And, and she was comparing it to her own life story and gave me examples. And there was, you know, there was a reference to some like sneakers, like naturalizer, I don't know, like some brand that's like very comfortable. Um, but it's like, she didn't know those are my designer Nordstrom shoes. Okay. The way that church people have like almost an, uncanny ability to give a compliment but it's also not a compliment but it's also they're intrigued they want to know more it's just like come on people just just cool it with the emails and the shade yeah. and, and and the and the almost niceness you know and it's just like it's not quite sincere but it almost is you almost feel complimented but were you you know it's like only in church does that kind of thing happen <laughs> Oh gosh. You know, another shoe reference is that I posted one time on Facebook, like, where should I go get cowboy boots? Cause like I'm in Texas now, I want some boots, you know? And, and one of my beloved church people said, don't embarrass yourself, go to the boot barn and get something authentic. Don't embarrass <laughs> yourself. <laughs> and I just thought, 
said in a way that only church people can, you know, and do with, do with that what you want to interpret it as you will, but don't embarrass yourself. Get something authentic. Go to the boot barn. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Don't embarrass us Christians by wearing those janky boots from that other place. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Yeah. Well, Jenna, thank you so much for being here with us today. And we touched on so many different issues that I care about and that I think are important pieces of this mm-hmm. puzzle. And it is so refreshing and encouraging to know that there's a church leader like you out there. Thank you, Anna. That's sweet. And I appreciate it. All right. Bye. Bye, friend. Well, that's all she wrote for this episode. If you have any questions, lean not on your own understanding. Send me an email at martyrshewrotepodcast at gmail.com. Bye. Bye.